Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. This podcast is sponsored by Llama Naturals. I learned about Llama Naturals a few months ago, and I honestly wish someone had told me about them sooner. I always recommend that people get their vitamins from whole food sources, not synthetics. But I could never find a good option for my kids until I found Llama Naturals. They have a full line of delicious gummies that are made with real fruit, no added sugar or sweeteners, plus vitamins from whole foods. They are USDA organic, vegan, gluten-free, and allergen-free. Plus, they are seriously delicious. You can save 20% off your first order by going to llamanaturals.com and using the coupon code JUST. J-U-S-T. My whole family loves them, but if you have a picky eater, they offer a money-back guarantee. Seriously, you should at least go to their site and compare their label against any other gummy brand out there. They are the best I've found. Again, it's llamanaturals.com. Dr. Marin Locke is a board-certified dermatologist known on YouTube as the Budget Dermatologist. Dr. Locke teaches you how to improve your skin without spending a fortune through easy-to-follow budget skincare routines, product reviews, and expert advice on a variety of skin conditions. Through Dr. Locke's online presence, she aims to make skincare approachable, affordable, and accessible to all. Dr. Locke founded Carlisle Dermatology in 2018, her own private practice dermatology clinic in Central Florida. She runs a full-service practice offering medical treatment, cosmetic services, and surgical procedures for all skin conditions. Dr. Locke serves a large population of skin cancer patients where she utilizes her fellowship training in micrographic surgery and dermatolic oncology. Outside of medicine, Dr. Locke is a busy mom with two kids. You can usually find her spending time outside with her family in a broad-brimmed hat. Dr. Locke, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. What inspired you to go into dermatology? Yeah, so um, I really took to dermatology during medical school when we did a lot of different rotations. I really loved that you can see the pathology on the skin right before your eyes. And there are so many conditions that we have great treatments for. So you can really see the progress in the patient's healing uh, in front of your eyes and really just see the improvement. So that's something that really, I just really liked, um, found very satisfying. So it really just drew me in from the beginning. Did you always want to be a doctor from when you were little? I think so. I can't remember a time that I didn't want to be a doctor. You know, I grew up in a family where my dad is a physician. So that's kind of something that I always knew, um, and basically could always see myself doing. So yeah, I just, that was just always something that I had planned to do for myself from very early on. I always think if I could redo my life, (laughs) I would be a doctor. And I've always wanted to be either OBGYN or a dermatologist of the two things. That's so so funny. OBGYN is another one that I did really love in medical school as well. My little sister is actually an OBGYN resident now. So she's in her training doing that. Oh, how fun. Well, dermatology always has intrigued me as well. And so I'm excited to talk to you and pick your brain because I have so many questions. I'm curious to know, what do you think are the most skin problems that you see in your practice? 
Yeah, I am full service. So I really see everything. I see patients of all ages. The most common thing that I see based just kind of on my location, I live in an area or I, my practice is in an area where there's a lot of retirement communities. So I really am heavy on the skin checks and skin cancer in my practice, which is great for me. Like you mentioned, my fellowship training in skin cancer surgery. So I really stay very busy and do a lot of that. But aside from that, you know, I see I see patients of all ages. I see a lot of acne. Acne is just one of the most common skin conditions overall. So of course that's going to be a big portion of what comes into the clinic, eczema, rashes, you name it. You know, we see it. All the typical dermatology stuff, huh? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about a few of those because acne, that's a huge one. I get a ton of questions about it. I've got teenage kids, so it's always a hot topic in our house. So I would love to pick your brain about acne. And I'm yeah. really curious to know, do you think our diet plays a role in acne? I absolutely do. I think diet is huge in acne. And it's so funny because there was a really long period of time when people kind of totally disregarded acne or disregarded diet and its relation to acne. You know, they don't teach you a whole lot about that in medical school. We don't learn a whole ton about that in residency. Um, but I think over the past few years, there's become, there's been more and more research that's come out that's really linking diet to acne and revealing to us that acne is really just an inflammatory state. And a lot of the foods that we are eating in our body are driving this inflammation and making acne worse. Some of the newer studies that have come out um, are really mostly focused around high glycemic index foods and how that can drive acne. Um, and then dairy that's been shown as well, uh, repeated in several studies that dairy can be a driver of acne, but it's not just any dairy. You know, it's showing that whole milk is actually better and less likely to cause acne than skim milk, for example. And I think that that kind of goes back to the high glycemic index thing, you know, there's going to be, you know, a little bit more of that and skim milk. And I think that's definitely driving acne to a lot of extent in some people. Um, and, you know, over the years of practicing dermatology and seeing so many patients with acne, I've always had patients come to me and say, certain foods trigger their acne or make it worse. So whether it's in the research studies or not, I think that's undeniable when patients are, you know, anecdotally telling you that that's what's happened. I think we need to listen to that and, you know, start to try to look into that further. So yeah, I've, I've, I've always kind of thought that it played a role. So I'm really glad to see that research is coming around to it now. I'm really glad to see that also. And as you say, your um, patients have different foods that they say affect it, that ties into that inflammation. Because if we have different food intolerances, what may cause inflammation for one may be different for another. And so different food intolerances, right, could have play a part in that. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, one of the things that I was mentioning about the high glycemic index foods is what we're seeing is that when you eat those, we know that it is going to cause a sugar spike, a glucose spike, and that's going to cause release of insulin. And there's all these other you know, reactions that happen. And it's been shown that when you have these um, spikes and these increase in things like insulin-like growth factor, that it's going to increase your sebum production. And that's kind of like, you know, you can think of the oil sebum or oil in the skin that's going to clog the pores and cause those acne bumps. Well, that's being sent into overdrive by eating foods with high glycemic index, you know, carb heavy foods, processed foods with processed sugars. So that's really driving the pathogenesis of acne. 
And it's also been shown that other levels of hormone and hormones in our bodies from eating these foods are going to cause our skin cells to proliferate really rapidly and then not die off in the normal, you know, skin cell cycle like they should. And again, that's another pathogenesis uh, factor or contributing factor to acne is clogged pores from this excessive, you know, skin cells that aren't shed off the skin properly. They're just going down and clogging our pores and creating those acne bumps. So it's all linked back to the foods we eat and the quality of the foods we eat, you know, not all carbohydrates are off limits or bad, but when you're talking about processed sugars and processed foods, um, those are going to be high on the list for acne causing foods. So interesting. Okay. So I want to ask you a couple things then. So talking about carbs, a lot of times you'll hear in on social media, wherever, you know, teenagers talk and my teenagers will say, mom, I've got to cut out gluten and dairy. So does gluten play a part as well, or just mainly dairy? Yeah, gluten is one of those, you know, um, ingredients that people we're seeing, we think it plays a role in a lot of different skin conditions. Um, So again, if somebody is eating gluten and having acne and they cut it out and their acne gets better, I, I think you shouldn't ignore that. You know, it's not going to have the same effect on everybody. Not everybody's going to have an intolerance or, you know, a sensitivity to gluten. So it's not really a one size fits all approach. But I think that, you know, a trial off of these foods is going to be your number one kind of go-to test to see if that's going to help your acne or not. Okay. And that does make sense because gluten is inflammatory for some. So there again is for looking for the inflammatory foods to get rid of, then that can be a culprit for some. Absolutely. Okay. So you're talking about which foods contribute to acne. Are there foods that actually help acne get better? That's an interesting question. Um, You know, like I was saying, I don't think even all carbohydrates are bad. If you're looking to add those into your diet, you want to choose foods that are low glycemic index, like sweet potatoes are going to be a better option than, you know, some of the other more processed types of foods. So I don't know that that's going to necessarily clear your acne, but it definitely won't contribute to making it, it worse. Okay. What about fiber. Does fiber help at all? My son's like, I've got to get more fiber in. It helps my acne. Yeah. Fiber, you know, it's one of those things that people say can help regulate the blood sugar level, right? So it all comes back to the insulin surge and the insulin like growth growth factor that would be increased by some of these things. So I think that if if fiber can regulate those and keep those at, you know, more of a steady state, instead of having these wild glucose spikes and all the, you know, down path that, that that causes that could could definitely be something that can help control it for some people. Okay. And then also what about water? My son's eat, drinking so much water just every day. I've got to drink more. I've got to drink more. It flushes out my toxins from my body. Is that <laughs> truly a thing with acne? You know, I don't know that you're going to find a study that just shows drinking more water is going to help clear your acne or cure your acne, but what doesn't drinking more water help, right? That's I mean, true. it's just good in health in general, keeping us hydrated, you know, keeping everything working you know, more optimally. So I think your son is smart. He's on the right track. there. definitely getting more water is, is can't hurt. Okay. So now talking about clogged pores, are there certain products that are better for clogged pores than others? I know there's so many like acne type products on the market. What should we be looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. So kind of my go-to the number one treatment for topical treatments for acne products, in in my opinion, is a retinoid. So that's going to be, that's a broad category of medications. That's going to be stuff like 
your Retin-A, which is prescription or tretinoin, or the -the over-the-counter stuff you can find like retinol, adapalene, which just goes by different. Some people know it by that. Um, That is going to be one of the ingredients that's most studied for acne, has the most significant results that can really unclog pores. And not only for acne, but these retinoids can help a lot of skin conditions. And I have a lot of patients who use it just for its anti-aging benefits alone. It's kind of, you know, a different category, but for acne, that is pretty much our first line go-to topical treatment that helps mild to moderate acne. I think it's a, it's an amazing drug and it, it helps clear so many people. You can get it over the counter and by prescription, you know, different forms are available over the counter. So a lot of times, you know, when I see patients in my clinic, they've tried some of these over the counter things that are available to them. And sometimes it works and other times their acne is just a little more advanced than that. And we can move on to some prescription strength forms and other treatments, but retinoids I'd say is, is kind of your first line go-to treatment for clogged pores. Now there are some other um, topical treatments that work well for those as well. Also, these are over-the-counter. Salicylic acid is a a really great one. This is oil soluble. So it really collects in the pores. It it goes down into the oil glands that are the part that's clogged and causing these acne bumps. So it really can help break up that debris there and clear the clogged pores that way. Um, Benzoyl peroxide, it's anti-inflammatory, it's antibacterial, so it can help um, unclog pores as well. And both of those you can get over the counter? Yep, you can. So do people need to use high-end skincare products or their affordable options? Are these that you uh, talked about affordable? Yes, these ones are definitely, you can find these in affordable options over the counter. I strongly believe that we do not need to spend a ton of money on skincare products to get good results. What is far, far more important is picking the correct product and then using it consistently. That will take you so much further than just buying a hundred dollar or $200 cream or serum and then expecting, you know, wild results from it. I think that if you know what you're doing, like I said, choosing the right products and using it correctly, introducing it correctly, and then using it in a setting of other correct products too. You know, it's not just one product in isolation. You really need to have the whole skincare routine working together, not canceling each other out, not irritating the skin. So it's kind of that whole package. And if you're doing all those things correctly, you can pick out extremely affordable products that you have access to right at the drugstore, the grocery store, you know, online, and they can make a world of difference for your skin. A lot of these more, um, you know, medical grade skincare or the higher end products are really just a product of marketing. And that's how they can sell them for so much money. A lot of times there's not ingredients in them that are anything groundbreaking or special or that have more research behind them. Um, it's mostly marketing and the packaging and um, they're very convincing and they can get a lot of people to, to buy them. But I, I really, you know, one of my, my main mission is to teach people that you don't have to feel like you can't have great skin if you can't afford those products, because that's just not true. I love that because there are some really expensive ones out there. And my son goes to a dermatologist and they try to convince him every time that he needs this like $400, $500 whole facial system. And I'm like, we are not buying that. We can find it in other products. So I love that you're trying to help others see that. Yes. Yes. And I get people, you know, message me 
you know, obviously my own patients in my clinic, I, I get to see them back and we have an, an actual, you know, doctor patient relationship. So I get to see how they improve, but I have people constantly sending me messages on Instagram and, you know, leaving comments that they've simplified their skincare routine. Like they were doing crazy stuff and buying all these products and they watched some of my videos and simplified the routine and started using some products that were correct for their skin or using them in the correct way. And they've made world, it's made a world of difference on their skin. So it's really a testament to, you know, that that's really a good approach to the skin. And I think it's definitely always, always a good place to start, you know, start simple, start easy, start with affordable products and see how far that can get you. And, you know, if you need to do something beyond that, that's a little bit more, you know, unique to your skin, then that's a good time to try it. But it's, it's never wrong to start simple. I so agree with that because products can be really nourishing and healing to the skin that are fairly cheap. So you do not need those really expensive ones to be nourishing and healing. One question I have for you left on acne is, do people see better results if they're using the, like the nourishing, healing skincare with a better diet? Yes. Yeah. I mean, as with a lot of skin conditions, all of this is a combination of things. If you're doing all the right things in all these different categories, you are going to really optimize your results. And I I really try to teach my patients that I try to teach that online as well. It's not just about diet alone. It's not just about, you know, prescriptions or over the counter products, but it's, it's the healthy, it's the healthier lifestyle overall. You know, it's the drinking more water, getting sleep, eating the right foods, and then using the right products for your skin that are going to all work together kind of synergistically to heal you more quickly and to keep you clear and to keep your skin healthy. It's sort of like the saying, you can't supplement yourself out of a bad diet. It's you can't skincare. How do we say that? Uh, Use skincare items only to get yourself out of a bad diet. I don't know, something like that. Exactly. Yep. I'll I'll go. I'll go with that. (laughs) Okay. You also just mentioned sleep and acne obviously is huge with teenagers Teenagers maybe don't get the best of sleep sometimes. So does sleep play a part? I think so. It's also another one of those things that, you know, we don't really get taught a lot about. And but it it is kind of catching on how restorative sleep can be to your body. And I think doctors are are probably starting to try to talk to patients a little bit more about that, um, a little bit more buzz around it in general. But, you know, I think if you're getting enough sleep and also not just enough sleep, but getting quality sleep, you're going to be able to heal your skin more quickly and maintain the improvements that you have as well. I mean, sleep is so important for everything, not just skin health. Okay. Well, sleep actually does help balance hormones as well. Can't acne be hormone related as well? Yeah, totally. That's, I mean, that's another, exactly. That's another way that sleep is, is helpful to acne, but you know, hormone imbalances and stuff can affect a lot of other organ systems that we have. So, so yeah, I mean, it it all, it all works together. So if people start working on their hormones and balancing their hormones, will they maybe see a clear up of their skin as well? Yeah, I think so. And like I said, that's, that's not going to be the only piece of the puzzle for everybody, but some people, if they don't have super stubborn acne or really severe acne, they can actually just make lifestyle changes and notice great improvements of their skin. And it can maybe help them avoid medications and doctor visits and all that stuff altogether. Now, again, not everybody, some people have really severe acne and for other reasons. Um, but lifestyle modifications really can go a long way. 
So acne is like so many other, I want to say, illnesses, meaning that there's no one right answer with a lot of these illnesses or issues out there. There's so many different treatments that may help people. There might be lots of different root causes. One root cause for one person may be a different root cause for another. And it sounds like that's the same with acne. Absolutely. And that's really what, you know, makes it hard for for teenagers and, you know, young adults and, and anybody who's suffering from acne, because what happens a lot of time is, you know, maybe they're lucky enough to be able to go to a dermatologist and get in to see a dermatologist or a skin health professional. But a lot of times these visits are really quick. They're pressured for time. They'll get maybe three minutes with the doctor. And how much can you really, how much ground can you really cover during that time besides just getting your diagnosis and probably getting a couple prescriptions, but not getting the time to talk about their diet. What are they eating? What is their stress level in life? Are they getting sleep? Um, you know, what skincare products are they using? How are they treating their skin? All these things can go together and really play into how successful a patient is going to be with clearing their acne. So it's really hard to address all those things in a single doctor visit. So what happens is these patients go home and then they get online, they go on Google and start trying to get these answers that mm -hmm. they didn't have time to get in the doctor's office. And that can just be a whole can of worms. You know, who, who are you getting your advice from? Is it somebody who said, oh, you have to do this. It cleared my acne and it healed me. Well, that might be true for them, but it's like you just said, everybody is so unique and they're skin condition and their triggers are very individualized to them. So, you know, just getting your advice off the internet from any random source or Facebook groups, or, you know, just anecdotal evidence or advice from other people can be harmful to patients and really just prolong the, their diagnosis or prolong their acne flares and stuff. So it's tough. It is tough. I sort of smirked when you said they just Google it. Cause you just explained my son. He's constantly trying to figure out what contributes to acne. So yeah. And I mean, it's good. It's good to be curious and to take interest in your health and to want to heal. Um, but you know, it's another reason why I started my online presence and my YouTube channel. It's so I can get all this advice out there. So if people are Googling these questions, hopefully they land upon my channel and can get some real answers um, and get real advice that can help them if they're not able to get it one-on-one -on -one in front of their doctor. One last question about acne for you. Do you think that certain supplements help acne? You know, that's interesting. Um, a couple supplements are get a little more attention about this. One is vitamin D and the other is zinc. So I think that, yeah, these supplements can definitely help. Again, I've, I've had patients tell me that they've taken these supplements and it's helped their, their acne. So um, there are studies that have been done on these. I don't think the evidence and the conclusions from these studies have been super, super definitive yet for us to just blanket recommend like a certain dose of zinc that you should take every day for acne improvement. But I think it's something to look out for that might be on the horizon. We might start to see, you know, better studies coming out that give us a little more insight about that. Okay, good to know. All right, let's move on to a new topic because you talked about that you have patients that come in for eczema and that is one that I have a lot of followers asking me about, but especially with little kids, toddlers, babies. So again, with like acne, does food play a part with eczema? Yes, I think this is a lot more clear cut than acne is um, to some extent and a lot more research has, has been done that's, that's very convincing about that. But food 
food is a huge trigger for eczema. It's not the only trigger and it's not, doesn't necessarily mean it can be the cause of eczema, but if a person is prone to eczema, skin flares like that, or they have underlying atopic dermatitis or just, you know, defective skin barrier, uh, certain foods can really set off their eczema for sure. And what foods especially do that? So your absolute most common foods that are going to cause eczema flares are going to be things like eggs, dairy, nuts, and, you know, shellfish for some people. Now that's a short list. Those are just the most common, but there's a lot of foods that can cause, cause triggers. And again, this is one of the things that's really individualized to, to people. So is it inflammatory foods that are contributing to this eczema as well? You know, I don't know if I would just look at it as inflammatory. It just kind of depends the reaction because or depends on what is, is going on in, in the person because foods that you eat can cause certain types of triggers and flares in your eczema. So some people might eat a food and they get this immediate flare of their eczema and swelling and hives, that type of thing that can happen within seconds to minutes of eating a food. Other people are going to have this delayed type hypersensitivity reaction to food. So they eat a food and then it won't be for 48 hours that they'll see their eczema flare. And in that case, it's really difficult for patients to pinpoint what foods are flaring their eczema when you are in this delayed phase, you know, reaction there. So um, it's not necessarily just your classic inflammatory foods, but it's more of these foods that for whatever reason, your body is reacting to the proteins in them or, you know, forming antibodies against them or recognizing them and just not agreeing with it. Do you see more kids with eczema or adults? Because I have a lot of followers ask me about eczema and it's usually kids. Yep. So eczema is pretty much, you know, a lot more common in children, you know, just in general, but as we grow, some people grow out of their eczema and it becomes less of a factor in their life, but toddlers and, you know, young kids definitely have the most severe form of their eczema earlier in life. And then, you know, fortunately, a lot of these kids really do outgrow it or it becomes much, much more mild, thankfully. Oh, that is good. Okay, so you hear a lot of times that eczema is gut related. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I I think that that's really interesting. We're seeing more research lately actually about um, uh, rosacea being connected to gut health too. So I, I don't think it's out of the question, you know, about that. So I'm definitely keeping my eyes open for research studies and stuff that comes out about, about that. I think that's kind of new on the horizon that we're going to start seeing hopefully more definitive research come out about it because right now it's kind of like you know some people might buy into that or believe it and other people think oh there's no way that could be related um but when you start having more and more buzz around it and you know people start becoming more interested in it and doing research on it and getting good studies out there hopefully we'll get some some pretty good definitive answers and it will become something that makes its way into our education and learning about the skin and and different diseases. Yeah, that would be great. So what products do you recommend parents to use for their kids for eczema? Gentle, gentle products. That's really so important. You know, we don't want to use fancy products with a lot of different ingredients. You want to really go back to the basics and use simple products. And you just want to make sure you definitely avoid products with fragrances. And I tell patients too, you know, parents of kids with eczema, you want to be careful about using 
some of these natural products, um, because a lot of times they're going to be really heavy on plant additives and lots of oils and different things in there, which for some people can be actually very soothing to the skin, certain oils, but overall, these are actually common offenders for contact dermatitis on the skin. So you have to be really careful about putting these on damaged or compromised skin barrier when the skin is red and flaky or crusty or even fissured. If you're going to be putting some of these oils or, or harsh harsh things on the skin, it can irritate the skin really quickly. Good to know. I love that you say, just keep it simple. It needs to just be simple ingredients. And I always tell people simple and nourishing ingredients is what you want to use. Right. And when you say get rid of fragrance, are you talking bath soap, body soap, laundry detergent, all sorts of things that might touch their skin? Yep. I really... I I go pretty strict on my recommendations about that. I think, you know, all free and clear type of laundry detergent. I tell patients don't use dryer sheets. A lot of times dryer sheets can contain um, skin irritants on it for those who have really sensitive or eczema prone skin. And then, yeah, bath soaps and body, body washes and body gels, that type of thing often contain all kinds of different fragrances and scents and um, uh, ingredients that can really flare eczema. So If you're somebody who's suffering from that or have a child who's suffering from eczema, go back to basics. You know, you're going to want to use only the most gentle products in all categories, get your skin healthy, get it clear, try to get your eczema totally under control. And then if you want to pick one product at a time that you want to try back into your skincare routine, you can do it stepwise that way to see if you can a identify a trigger, you know, or if there's something that's causing your eczema to flare, but then it's really easy to back it back out if it's not working for you or causing your, your skin to flare. Because if you clear your skin with medications and, you know, a good skincare routine and all that, then you go back to what you were using and use five, 10 different products. We have no idea what's, what's causing it at that point, you know? So, so starting simple and adding things back in one at a time is, is the better way to do it sort of like elimination diet, but with products. hundred percent. Well, and I would just speak if, if it's working for you, then just keep on those better products rather than going back to the ones with fragrance or things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's even more ideal. You know, sometimes you have patients who are really attached to a certain product or, or whatnot. And you know, if if that's their, their desire, that's, that's the way I recommend to do it one product at a time. Right. Well, and fragrance gets really tricky because fragrance can have up to like 3000 different chemicals, but they don't have to state on the product what those chemicals are because it's a trade secret, their fragrance. And so a lot of times they might have a lot of irritants that are contributing to that eczema and we don't even know which ingredients that are contributing to the eczema. Yes, that's an extremely important point. I think something that, you know, a lot of people don't, don't realize, you know, these things are not open knowledge to us. So it makes it really, really difficult to identify a specific product or, you know, a specific ingredient that might be causing the skin to flare. So fragrance-free in general is the way to go. Well, let's move on now to another topic, if you're okay with that. Let's talk about aging. That's a topic that my, (laughs) my age group and older are curious about. And I know you said that you work with older people in your clinic, things like that. Let's start with Diet and food. Do diet and food affect our aging? Yes. With the skin? That's my answer for you for, for all <laughs> For stuff. all of them, yes. 
Again, we can't ignore diet as one component, one piece of the puzzle for our anti-aging skincare routine. It's been shown, I think it's widely accepted that foods that spike our sugar in our bloodstream can cause collagen damage. You know, collagen is what is in our skin that keeps it looking youthful and to keep it, you know, plump. And the certain types of foods we eat are going to cause that collagen to become more brittle, break down more quickly, and then not be able to rebuild itself properly. So definitely diet plays a role, get the processed sugars out of your diet, and you can definitely slow down your aging to, I I think, a significant amount. Okay, so I'm so curious to know, collagen is really trendy right now. So taking collagen, do you believe that that helps in the anti-aging process of your skin? Yeah, I love that question. I, I think it does. Um, You'll find a lot of mixed thoughts about that, especially among dermatologists, because, you know, we, a lot of medical profession professionals in general want to wait till there's like slam dunk research studies, a lot of definitive evidence before they'll, you know, get on board or buy into something. But along the way, there's been a lot of really interesting, smaller scale research studies that have come out about oral collagen supplements affecting change on our skin. You know, a lot of people think, oh, if you take it orally, it's just going to break down in your stomach acid and you're not going to, it's not going to make its way to the skin and create any change. But studies have shown that actually that's not true. Um, Again, small scale studies. But when I read those, I started to think, you know, there might be something to this. And I think these studies shouldn't be ignored. And then I think more recently, um, another study came out not too long ago, maybe just a couple months ago, that is even giving more support to collagen helping our skin. Um, it's one of those things that I think is really low risk. There's not a lot of side effect to it. So I think it's reasonable to try it um, and see if it works for you. See if you're noticing improvement. Um, and if nothing, you know, you're just, like I said, slowing down the aging process. It's not that you're going to take this collagen and see all of your wrinkles disappear, but you're going to make your skin healthier in general and hopefully can just slow down this inevitable process that's happening. With anti-aging, there are so many products on the market, just as there are with acne. So what are your favorite go-tos or what do you recommend for someone who's now looking at the anti-aging facial stuff? Yep. So back to a product that I mentioned earlier, and that's retinoids. I think this is going to be an extremely important part of an anti-aging routine for most people. There's a ton of research behind this. It really, really works to erase fine lines and wrinkles. It's topical. There's not a lot of risk there with using this. It's not an oral, you know, pill or anything like that. Um, So I think that incorporating that into an anti-aging skincare routine is going to be my number one treatment product that you you should use. Now it's not for everybody. You shouldn't use topical retinoids if you're pregnant or if you're breastfeeding, it's not recommended for those age group or those uh, populations and um, certain skin conditions. You know, if you have really rosacea prone skin, retinoids can be just by nature really irritating. So certain skin conditions might not be able to tolerate retinoids very well, but if you can, and if you're not pregnant or breastfeeding, I say, put that in your routine. You're going to use it at night and try to use it as consistently as you can over a long-term period. And that's going to be kind of the mainstay of your skincare routine for anti-aging. And people can find good brands that contain that like at Target, Walmart, places like that. Yeah. That's 
retinol is what, you know, you're going to see most often um, over the counter. That's the, the name of the type of retinoid you find over the counter. These are available in a lot of products. Um, the prices of these can vary widely. You know, you can get these online for some of these other medical grade skincare companies for hundreds of dollars. And then you can find it in products that Neutrogena makes or CeraVe makes. And you can get these at the drugstore and they start, you know, 20s, $20 or so or, and up around that price point, but they have a lot of studies behind these as well. You know, companies like Neutrogena have giant research and develop, or, you know, R and D budgets and studies that they do on their product. And they've shown effectiveness in anti-aging with these products. So I think that, you know, just spending a moderate amount of money on a product, you can still expect to get results. Are there other things that affect aging, such as lifestyle, or are there supplements that help? What other things contribute to or against it? Sure. So one of the main things is smoking. You know, smoking is a huge thing for aging. That's going to age you extremely quickly. Um, So that definitely should not be in your routine. Um, Getting sleep, like we talked about before, sleep can be really regenerative and restorative to the skin. So that's really important. Like we mentioned, um, touching on a healthy diet. Do you recommend any supplements or not necessarily? Like I, like we just mentioned collagen, collagen is the only supplement I, I really take for, for skin health. Beyond that, I think that the foods you eat are far more important than just not focusing as much on your diet and then taking a bunch of supplements. You know, biotin is another supplement that people, um, you know, take a lot for hair, skin, and nails. And I think that that can help, um, but it's not really going to be the full picture and and the full answer here. Again, I think focusing on healthy foods, a well-balanced diet, low in these processed sugars or high glycemic index foods is going to be far more important than supplements that you take. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. Okay. I want to ask you another question because this is sort of a debate I find within people And this is the sun and with sunscreen versus getting sun, because I'm very pro you need to get, you need to be out in the sun and get some vitamin D, but I completely understand the risks of skin cancer. So where's the fine balance between covering your kid up completely with sunscreen so that they never get any sun to versus spending some time in the sun to get the benefits of the vitamin D? Yeah, you're definitely right. It's definitely a controversial topic, Um, especially, you know, me being a dermatologist and amongst my colleagues, pretty much you're going to hear people for the most part say, stay out of the sun, cover yourself in sunscreen and sun protective clothing, avoid the sun during the peak hours of the day, seek shade, all that type of, all that type of stuff, obviously. And, and we say that because of skin cancer, you know, we know that excessive amounts of sun causes skin cancer. It's one of the main things I see in my practice. So I'm very in tune to that, but at the same time, I totally agree with you. I think getting your vitamin D direct from sunlight is honestly the best way to get it. I don't think it's going to be more effective taking it from a pill. And then of course, eating foods that are rich in vitamin D is another good way to get it, but that's not really reasonable for most people to get 100% of their vitamin D needs from food alone. I think studies show that we get maybe 10% of what we need from the foods that we eat. And beyond that, it needs to come from the sun. That's going to be, you know, that's what's natural. That's what's evolutionarily consistent. That's what's happened, you know, over time. So I think that there's no denying that that's, that's definitely the healthiest way to get it, but it's a balance because 
too much sun can definitely cause excessive skin aging, burns on the skin, and then all of that can increase your risk for skin cancer over time. So it's a balancing act for sure. Some people can spend a little bit more time than others without sunscreen on, correct? Yep. There's several things that go into that, you know, where exactly you live, how far from the equator you live and how intense that sunlight is. Um, The time of day that you're out in the sun affects how much sun you're getting and how much vitamin D that your, your body is able to make. And then your skin color, the more melanin in your skin, you know, melanin is kind of like natural SPF, natural sunscreen. So the darker your skin tone, the harder it is for you to get enough vitamin D. So you're going to need to be in the sun two, three times as long as somebody who is much more fair skinned. So do you tell your patients try to get X amount of minutes in the sun without sunscreen or not necessarily? So I actually do encourage my patients to spend time outside. I think the benefits beyond just getting vitamin D from the sun, there are so many benefits of being outside. So I think, you know, outdoor hobbies and outdoor activities and that type of stuff is extremely important. And where I live in Florida, you know, I, a ton of patients are golfers and play tennis and swim and all these things. So they're outdoors a lot. So I do a lot of educating about how to be safe, but still have these hobbies and be out in the sun. And it's not necessarily, you know, I don't tell them a set amount of time, you know, an X amount of minutes, just because it is so different based on your skin color and these other conditions that I just mentioned. Um, but you kind of have to personalize it to yourself. You know, you want to make sure that you definitely are never getting a burn. If you're getting a burn, you've, you've done too much. You, you really need to, to back off. So getting a little bit of sun kind of actually during the peak hours of the day is when the UVB is going to be the strongest. And the UVB is the type of skin ray or sun rays that create vitamin D in our bodies. It's not the UVA, it's the UVB and the UVB is going to be highest during the middle of the day. So being out in the middle of the day for a shorter amount of time, you're going to get all the vitamin D you need during the day. Oh, that's That's good advice. Okay. And I, and I say, you know, you know, take it with a grain of salt or, or still practice safe sun practices and everything like that. But, you know, when we think about the rays from the sun, we have UVA and UVB. UVA rays is what causes all the skin aging, right? So the UVA rays stay pretty consistent throughout the day from morning, you know, when the sun is up, it's pretty consistent, but the UVB rays are lower in the morning and the late afternoon and really high in the middle of the day. So if you want to get all your vitamin D from the sun, but you want to avoid the peak hours, then you're going to have to be out in the sun longer. So that's more exposure to UVA and more skin aging. So I say it's reasonable to think, get it during the middle of the day for a much shorter period of time, and you're going to get less of that skin aging as a byproduct. So talking about sun, though, sunscreen, do you have a type of sunscreen you think people should use? Are there ingredients that people shouldn't buy sunscreen that contain certain ingredients? What are your thoughts on that? Yep, a pretty controversial topic there. The main types of sunscreen that we think of are either the chemical sunscreens or the mineral sunscreens or physical sunscreens. Um, The chemical ones get a lot of heat, you know, because they have been shown to absorb into our bloodstream. So these are going to be sunscreens that have things like oxybenzone and avobenzone in them. They've been shown in these more recent studies. You're probably aware of them too in our bloodstream. What effect do they have when they're there? What are the long-term effects of that? We don't know, but do we want to wait to find out if 
anything comes of that? Or do you want to just say, hey, I don't know if that's good or bad. Let's just avoid that altogether. And let's choose the mineral sunscreens instead. So those are going to be ones with zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. Now these still absorb into the skin. You know, I think it's kind of a, a myth that they just reflect light off of our skin. They still, you know, absorb sunlight, but it's in, they use minerals instead of chemicals. So a lot of people feel more, you know, safe using that type of sunscreen. That's personally what I use. It's what I recommend to my patients. I think that they work very effectively, but they're a little bit cosmetically, not quite as elegant. They don't rub into the skin quite as well as the chemical ones. They tend to have more of that white cast look, but they do. Yeah. So, you know, it's a lot of people have a tough time using sunscreens, but it's one of those things that it's still important. It's still important that we protect our skin when we're in the sun. We want to be safe about it. But if you're super concerned or cautious about sunscreens overall, just in general, like either chemical or the mineral ones, it's never wrong to use UPF clothing. You know, that's the easiest, that's the easiest option. You don't have to put any product on your skin. You just put on a, you know, sun protective shirt, hats, that type of thing. And I loved those for when I had toddlers, because it was so much easier to just put those long sleeve, you know, shirts on or something rather than trying to rub their whole body down with these sunscreens. So I love that you mentioned that. It's definitely a fine balance between being out in the sun without the sunscreen, choosing the right type of sunscreen, trying to find a good brand that you like. Seems like just a big old balancing act that we have to do. Yep. It's a lot. You know, I think, like I said, the kind of the way to frame it in your mind is okay. Every, I mean, we should all be outside every day, you know, it just, that's just healthy in general. So getting outside for at least a few minutes when the sun, you know, you have a lot of sun out there and exposing your skin, honestly, to the sun and getting your vitamin D for a few minutes. And then after that, you want to make sure you really are decreasing your risk of the bad effects that the sun can cause, you know, burning the skin, excessive skin aging. So that's when you're going to want to put on your sunscreen and put it on correctly. So you're going to want to put enough of it on and reapply at least every two hours. Or like we said, even easier after you get your dose of sunshine, throw on a rash guard, you know, put on your hat, that type of thing. And and that's even easier. And that can really, really help balance these things. It's, it's just one of those things that the sunlight is good, but only to a certain extent. So we, we have to be careful about it. Such great advice. Okay, well, thank you so much for talking about the sun and aging and acne and eczema. Um, I know my my listeners have learned a lot from listening to this podcast, so thank you so much. Yeah, and you're welcome. I always end my podcast with asking my guests what they believe the best ingredient in life is. Yes, okay, I'm gon- going to probably surprise you with this, but like we, this is a great segue for it. We were just talking about it, but it's in my opinion, sun, sunshine. Oh, I love it. This means that you are outside. You know, we've gotten away from spending a significant time in nature and that really can negatively affect our health. So get outside in the sun. This means that you're off your devices, you know, cut your screen time down. You're not sitting at a desk or your computer for 10 hours a day, get outside, get moving and be active and get in the sunlight. You know, this gives us endorphins. It boosts our mood. It can fight depression and better mood, you know, means we're going to be happier and more productive in our life and just allow us to have better relationships, more love in our life. And 
sun, like, like I was just saying before, you know, sunlight is the best way to get your vitamin D that's going to boost our immune system. It's going to produce melatonin and help regulate our circadian rhythm and help us sleep better. So to me, you know, it's, it's really a toss up between sun and sleep, you know, between what's the best ingredient. But I think the true answer is really both, you know, we need to get back to quality sleep. It's the most healing thing we can do for our body mentally and physically, and just be more active during the day, particularly outside in the sunshine. That's going to restore better sleep patterns in our life too. So we can be safe about it and get all the benefits of being outside and getting active, but still protecting ourselves. And I think that, you know, we need to start talking about that more and getting back to the right balance instead of being extreme about it really on either side, you know, complete strict sun avoidance or overexposure, I think we need to get back to helping each other find a balance. And the outdoors, um, the fresh air is so great for us. And there's really fun studies out there about hiking and nature and collecting like those bacteria and things that are in nature and they get into our microbiome and just some fascinating things about fresh air and outdoors. I've seen some of these studies too. They're, they're very interesting. I think we need to get back to our roots. You know, we're we're doing too much with technology and too much inside these days. So getting outside, I think, can serve us well in a lot of different areas. Well, and I love that you touched upon extremes because I just did a post about extremes, that it's the extremes that are hurtful and fearful because usually it's not an extreme of no sun or all sun. It's moderation. So Absolutely. It's usually the case in most things. Yes. So tell me where my listeners can find you. Yes, you can find me online, my YouTube channel. That's, you know, where I've been spending a lot of time lately creating content. So the budget dermatologist on YouTube, and you can come find me on Instagram at the budget dermatologist as well. I try to share more daily tips and stuff there, answer comments and questions as much as I can. So yeah, come say hi. All right. That sounds good. Thank you so much, Dr. Locke for being here. I really appreciate it. And I know my listeners do too. Yes. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram. 